Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to Nomads Past and Present, a podcast about nomadism and nomadic peoples around the world and throughout history. I'm your host, Maggie Freeman, and my guest today is Dr. Saga Bogdaeva. Saga is a scholar of Eurasian studies, working to identify and preserve the nomadic oral and written heritage of the great Eurasian steppe. She received her PhD in sociology from Yale University in 2010 and currently teaches sociology and anthropology at Fordham University and CUNY College of Staten Island. Her translation of the Kalmyk epic poem Jangar was published earlier this year by University of California Press, and that's what we'll be talking about today. So thank you so much, Saga, for joining me. Oh, having me. First, there are probably two pieces of our conversation today that probably need to be contextualized uh, and clarified a bit for listeners, um, and those being the Kalmuk people and the poem itself um, that you've translated, Jangar. So if we could maybe start with the Kalmuks, could you explain just sort of, you know, in broad strokes, sort of an overview of who the Kalmuks are, where they're from, what sort of what the region of Kalmukia is? Yes. So the history of my people is very complicated because um, we live in um, in the Russian Federation and uh, Russia um, tried to write our own history. And we had our own historians. Um, uh, my culture is um, uh, has this emphasis on the Buddhist philosophy, Buddhist law. Uh, we have all these historical roots uh, with the Silk Road, so-called Silk Road, or I call it the Eurasian Step Road. And um, and and living within this um, constant uh, various Russian regimes, uh, the Russian Tsarist regime, and then the Soviet regime, then Putin's regime. So our historical records that were um, written by our own historians uh, were often 
destroyed or still uh, hidden in the archives in St. Petersburg and Moscow or in the neighboring regions. So um, neighboring regions, uh, which are neighboring Slav regions, have a lot of our um, museum treasures or historical letters um, so we kind of know our history, whether what we have from the uh, from the system of regime or um, by accident. So some historians find um, find letters. Right? So um, some people would go to the museum and by accident uh, a letter falls on the on the floor and they see it and, and so it's almost like having different clues and putting them together and so now it's an exciting time because uh, there are so many clues so so many people question the uh, written histories by uh, by by the by the system of powers that we live in now. So and and then there are so many uh, so many questions, right? Uh, that can be easily challenged now by the available evidence. Uh, that I felt that um, I should do something, and of course, who I am to do. Uh, I always saw there are uh, so many great scholars, uh, but I felt like um, if I do something, even um, uh, to change to change the the narrative that is sort of pushed on us that we are not educated, that we didn't have our own literature, that we didn't have our own uh, history, that we didn't have our own language uh, or long enough, right? So we, because uh, Moscow uh, narrative is that comics came to the place where we live now just recently, but my own point of view is that we have this long history with a step note. So, and it's everywhere. It's in our poetry, it's in our history, it's in our, uh, the way we, we dress, uh, the, uh, the, the way we relate to animals. This is part of our history. Step is who we are. We go to, we, we born out of the step and we go to the step. So, so sometimes I um, get impatient, like why Moscow tell us that we came to, the, to our step, right? Uh, they have the right to their own woods and uh, living in the forest, and we have our own right to our own um, relationship with the step. Mm -hmm. And so the poem Jangar um, was composed in the medieval period, and you describe it as the kind of national poem, the kind of national epic poem of the Kalmuks. So what's the sort of history of the Kalmuks during the period when the poem was likely kind of created or composed? What's happening in Kalmukia um, around um, when the poem is being written? So uh, right away we need um, we need to kind of turn off our modern thinking and turn on the uh, we need to uh, switch to a different mode of thinking right so we need to go to medieval or earlier times right 
So don't think in your national imagination with like Mongols, Russia, China, America. <laughs> so you need to you need to forget all these signals, right? Modern signals, and um, and and that what that makes the epic unique, right? We can transform to this different. I, I don't say time because there is no time in the epic itself. Mm -hmm. You can go back for so long that at some point time is irrelevant. Uh, same with, uh, with you can fight over, oh, this is our modern land, this is your modern land. And, but if you push further uh, or deeper, right, uh, that becomes irrelevant too because uh, there are so many names, right? So we are called now Kalmykia before, uh, but this name was given to us after the destruction of our Hanates and before it was, we were called Oirats and before the Oirats. They were... So there are so many names. So at the end, in the time of the epic, it's all about geography for the nomads. So to explain Jangar, we cannot really operate with the modern terms, right? So then um, uh, to understand the epic, we we can switch the time um, mode, we can switch off the, um, the uh, modern, right? error and go into a different dimension and it's a spatial dimension so you would have the mountains you would have the step uh, you would have the animals and uh, so the um, to conceptualize that spatial interrelations or dynamics so Dynamic, you need to understand the interrelations with, uh, with the animals. What kind of animals, what kind of plants and uh, trees and mountains and uh, rivers um, uh, they relate, right? And, and, and then relating again those kind of points of reference, you have completely um, a unique, unique picture. Uh, of the world, so mm. cannot say um, uh, this is this belong to this nation state, right? Mm -hmm. So because so I would say that this is the epic of uh, my ancestors who had very deep relationship with the Eurasian step road. And when you think about this Eurasian step road, right? So it's um, it's not uh, like a, a territorial polity, like uh, a modern polity, right? So it's it's stretch, it's a road. So uh, then you can think about a nomadic polity as a road. So it's not it's extended and narrow, right? It can unite multiple. Hanates. Uh, I don't know how to explain Hanates. It's a different nomadic quality, right? Um, let's say kingdoms, right? So along the road, you have different kingdoms. And they all stretched because um, uh, their, their main function, right, as a, uh, as a people was to connect 
different uh, different civilizations, right? So there were between East and West, between Europe and Asia. So uh, so they were kind of the agents of uh, trade and uh, in, uh, uh, cultural interactions. So uh, so so they are connected with the Eurasian Steppe. And the Eurasian Steppe Road goes from uh, the Altai Mountains and uh, all the way to the Caucasus Mountains. And so I was really struck by um, when I was reading your translation, um, you know, I couldn't sort of help myself from kind of wanting to experience the text of the poem sort of as it was meant to be experienced originally, perhaps. And in your introduction, you describe this kind of hybrid medium of poetry, song, and performance that all kind of came together in uh, Jangar. So can you give a sense of what that original sort of experience of listening to and hearing Jangar would have been like? You know, um, obviously it was not originally a kind of written text, it was performed orally. Um, so where would people have heard it? Who would have performed it? Who would it have been performed for? So the focus of the epic is building, is around building strong community. Uh, so uh, so the, the goal of singing the epic is to bring the nomads together. And then through, so it, so it had many um, dimensions. One of them was to, uh, or functions. One of them was to, uh, to tell the, to tell the, to train, right? To train the, um, the public minds um, about their history and culture. So, um, so it's similar to what we watch now on Netflix, right? Um, and it's a it's a strong tool to spread um, this uh, exciting stories and uh, transmit those stories to a wide population. So, uh, so it would be so, and uh, and of course, it's um, it was polished uh, through such kind of collective uh, entertainment, right? So the audience would decide which uh, poem was was polished best, right? So it's uh, so it's uh, it's almost like today, right? In the entertainment industry, uh, the audience decides uh, are they watching or not, right? So um, so uh, then um, the singers. Uh, were either popular among the people, right? And then they became um, famous. They became the stars of Thunder. And, um, and, and the inside uh, the poem, um, the poems were so long, you could sing them, you could entertain uh, the guests, the audience for uh, all nights, right? And we can read in one of the chapters how they did it. So inside the poems, you have um, you have it made of uh, poetic blocks. So um, um, 
So, for example, there is a, a certain um, a certain poems, and these poems are blessings. So, in um, people would get together and they become and they would uh, recite the, those blessings. For example, if you have a beautiful red shirt, right? People would uh, would um, make a poem of blessing for your beautiful red shirt, right? If somebody wears silver uh, earrings, it will be a blessing for that silver earrings. Or uh, you have a beautiful horse, it will be a blessing for that horse. And so it was almost like a competition in all these gatherings. So uh, clearly... <laughs> And there were a lot of uh, gatherings and parties and drinking and merrymaking, and um, they were um, so the, the, this poetic tradition was uh, was a part of those uh, of of that collective uh, enjoyment. You know, so we tend to assume that nomadic cultures only produce oral forms of literature. I think that's a kind of frequent trope. And so Jungar seems to be an example of that. Um, but then you write in your introduction to the epic that the Kalmuk Hanet was highly literate um, and laws mandating you know literacy and sort of high levels of education were sort of strictly enforced. So then why do you think that this, you know, oral epic poem was produced what was the kind of utility of that in a nomadic context when you know if we can assume that a lot of people probably more people than we would otherwise imagine were actually literate why was this kind of oral form of literary production so kind of highly prized and practiced so there are many genres and uh, types uh, of uh literature, history. Um, so uh, it doesn't need to be only orally transmitted, right? So it can be uh, written documents, uh, written materials. Um, so um, for the comic nomads, it was important to have many uh, types of uh, transmission as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have uh, written literature on um, uh, birch parks, mm-hmm. written literature uh, on paper, any types of uh, like physical materials, right? Uh, there are you have literature on the stones in the middle of the um, Eurasian or along the Eurasian steppe road, right? And you also have the orally transmitted, memorized type of literature. So you, uh, you, uh, so the people because they uh, because they were nomads and uh, they traveled, they, they went through many persecutions, right? So the Soviets were not the first, and they will be not the last, right? So you uh, you develop different ways of preserving your culture. Mm. So all paper literature is burnt and destroyed. You have the rock literature. If the rock literature uh, or not allowed, then you have 
something memorized by heart, mm. right? So, and, and it's a beautiful way of resistance. So, um, how to manage to uh, preserve um, something that is um, constantly being destroyed, right? And uh, so you have one generation and uh, the regime would try to destroy everything and tell, oh, you are not educated, you don't have literature because we burnt your books, right? <laughs> and then, so, and then uh, the next generation would hear the same, the third generation would hear the same. So at some point, uh, the people think, yes, we do not have literature. Yes, we are uneducated. And therefore, we shouldn't, we shouldn't even think about our own um, politics, right? Because any treasures of our own, right? And uh, but the community developed this uh, rebellious uh, memories mm. and the oral narratives, right? And and then they would um, sing those songs, and uh, so you would have. Um, I don't know what, 70 years or 70, 80 years of the Soviet Union, and then you would have more of Putin's uh, strange regime, right? And before even the Tsarist regime. And it's, um, it's, 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 a, it's a, such a strong, powerful survival technique. Mm. On, on, on the one hand, they tell you, you are illiterate, you don't have that literature, uh, you are a barbaric, um, a barbaric um, nation that um, only knows how to destroy, right? And, uh, and then you hear the stories of not the destruction, but literature treasure, right? And uh, you see through this um, the treasures that can be matched with the treasures of the Metropolitan Museum, right? And uh, so you start to question, and then you have a um, strong hope that um, that uh, that is not the story that we want to know for ourselves. So, so that's why you have different ways of resistance. The mm -hmm. type of literature is destroyed. You have the other, right? And so, uh, so I um, and I wanted to show that outside of this Soviet, post-Soviet mm -hmm. uh, Russia, that there are so many types of literature that maybe these types of literature don't fit in what we think with our modern mode of investigation but if we um, explore this type of literature we will realize that mm. the the essence of what these nomads wanted to pass to the to the future generation is uh, is more important uh, than what kind of mode of transmission right so yes, it's not on the paper, right? Yes, it's not on the white paper. Yes, it's not with the black ink, black ink, 
but the information, the quality of what they were transmitting is so deep, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that it's not with the black ink or on the white paper, right? Um, if we should consider that the ink and the white paper was taken away and we live inside the prison. So along those lines, can you talk a little bit about your sort of role and responsibility as a translator and sort of how you see your responsibility in terms of, sort of making this work accessible to the English speaking public and maybe also any kind of challenges that you encountered in translation? You know, are there certain terms or concepts or just sort of ways that the poem is structured that you had to kind of wrestle with how to make those kind of understandable to a modern Western English speaking audience? I think the is how do we train ourselves to switch off the modern thinking ourselves to explore something different, right? Because it's sometimes, even I, I am prejudiced, right? It took me so many years to get to this point. I was like, why should I do that? It, nobody's going to read this type of literature. And it will be hard to convince people to read this type of literature. But I think the world is ready because um, in the past, uh, for me to say the Soviet regime, Putin's regime, Russian regime, um, did this to my people's literature, if people, uh, so outside Russia, people would not, would not believe, right? Because it took Ukraine and the war in Ukraine to understand the level of um, of uh, of uh, violence, right, and um, the might of uh, of that regime to uh, control every voice within its territory, right. So. So now if I say, you think we don't have literature because the regime didn't allow us to show and present and demonstrate that literature, right? So now people would be more open to trust. Yes, let me read your, um, your proposal. Right? Mm -hmm. Let me read uh, that poetry. Let, uh, uh, oh, let's, let's discuss it on the... Right? So people realize that um, what is given to us outside of Russia, Eurasia, maybe it's not the only world that exists inside the borders, right? Because there are many more interesting cultures, um, many more interesting voices that can um that is that, is that can share this beauty of um, of literature uh, stories or uh, their own stories so what do you think is the kind of contemporary relevance or significance of junger for kalmuks today is there one you know are people 
sort of still aware of it? So another challenge, and that challenge can be connected to to your question, uh, is I didn't know where to start, right? Like Mm. where I start to talk about this rich Kalmyk literature, right? Uh, If people even don't know who are the Kalmyks, right? So um, the epic, the heroic epic genre is uh, the foundation of any type of literature. So all poets, all, um, I don't know, modern novelists of Kalmykia, right? They, um, it's almost like learning the alphabet. This is what they, what the epic um, absorbed all the wise uh, statements for many generations. So you can, every word is polished. So the the language is very um, effective language. So in one sentence, you can have a story, right? And so each each word has a meaning of that that you need you, you can write a dissertation just on one keyword, right? So um so um so there are different types of literatures. There are um letters, communications uh, between the kings, right? There are uh, poetry of um Fathers um, to their to their lost children, or a poem of father's love to his daughter, right? And uh, or or a mother's song to her son. So uh, it's it's yeah, or more modern um, poetry, for example, by Kubultinov when he was um, in the prison, in the Soviet prison, right? Uh, so, um, and it's uh, it's what the people themselves decided this is their national literature, this is their national voice, right, of their people. So, so the epic is only the foundational, uh, the introduction into into the history of the people, into the history of literature. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on to talk to me about um, the Kalmyks, Kalmyk history, poetry, and literary production. This has been really interesting. I really appreciated just the fact that this translation exists um, and is making this uh, work more accessible to a wider audience. So thank you for doing the work of translating it. Um, and I really recommend Saga's translation of Jangar. Um, for all listeners who might be interested in Central Eurasian history, poetry, all of the above. So thank you. Thank you for having me.